I'm very happy to be with you this morning. I thoroughly enjoyed that very spirited song service. And if you have your Bibles, I'll ask you to open with me to the fourth chapter of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4. Now, what the apostle says to the Hebrew saints is, Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Now, we might ask the question this morning, how could they come short of it? And the answer to that question would be found in the last verse of the previous chapter. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So after God brought the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt and went with them all through that wilderness journey, and finally when they got to the border of the promised land, they would not go in because of their fear and their disobedience and their unbelief. And God said, for every day that you have stood out here, you're going to wander a year in the wilderness. And that whole generation that came out of Egypt, died. And the ones that they feared would become bread for the inhabitants of the land. Their children, their little ones, are the very ones that God took in to the promised land. Come short of it through unbelief. As we turn to the third chapter of Hebrews, in the twelfth verse, he says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. How could they come short of it? In departing from the living God. By unbelief, through departing from the living God, and then he comes along in that 10th chapter of this same book, and he says in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as ye see the day approaching. So this whole book was written to these Christian saints who were on the verge of saying, it's costing me too much to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. As we read on down in this 10th chapter, we find in verse, well, let's just go to verse 32. But call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions, partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me in my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. A letter written to people who saying it costs too much to follow Jesus Christ. Too much pain. Too much suffering. Too much spoiling of our goods. Too much sacrifice that we've got to make for Jesus. So we're going back to the temple. We're going back to the animal sacrifices that could never take away sin. And this apostle is writing to say, don't cast away your confidence. Don't 
Forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Don't depart from the living God. Don't fail to enter into this glorious time before you through unbelief. So, throughout this whole letter, he impresses upon them chapter 2 and verse 9, which is really the title for my message this morning, which is, But We See Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? I tell you, I don't know about you, Brother Herman, but I need to see Jesus. Do you all need to see Jesus? I tell you, we need the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer for all of life's problems. you believe that? I tell you, if we don't believe that, we might as well get in our car and go home. If Jesus is not the answer for life and its problems and situations, you don't have any answers. But we see Jesus. What a glorious concept. What a wonderful thought that the apostle could bring down to these saints. Again, he repeats it in the 12th chapter, in the second verse, when he says, looking unto Jesus. My dear brethren, this whole book is one written where he's encouraging them, look away from all of these things and look to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's greater than angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. He's greater than the Arianic priesthood. He's greater than all things. Look away to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, my dear brethren, that's where we find our hope for life. That's where we find our answers for all life's problems. There, in that man who left glory and came down and suffered for us in our flesh and blood and became a brother with us in suffering and adversity. So the fourth chapter says in the second verse, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Now the same way that they entered into that wonderful rest that God brought them to is the same way that we enter into this gospel rest today. It's faith. He says in verse 3, For we which have believed do enter into rest. As He said, As I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So, my dear brethren, I tell you, we have set before us this morning the same thing that the children of Israel had set before them, a promised land, a land of rest, a land where they could enjoy the wonderful blessings and promises of God, a land, my dear brethren, that they were able to take and every inch that they possessed and every inch that they enjoyed, they found it through fighting for it with sword in hand. But you know, that's the same thing today that we're seeing in our own life. We believe in salvation by grace. At least I do. I'm, I'm a trusting that y'all do this morning. Saved by grace. We love that theme. And so why then do we find such militant themes as strive to enter in at the straight gate? For the law and the prophets were until John, and since that time the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. That word means to force one's way in violently. My dear brethren, Paul says we're to fight 
the good fight of faith. We're involved in a war that's going on now. Such militant thoughts. What in the world? How can you reconcile that with salvation by grace? Because we certainly believe the Bible to be true when it says we do not get into heaven by our works. So what's all this working and fighting and endeavoring and striving and pressing all about? Because that's the way that we enter into this gospel rest. Verse 12. No, verse 11. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. Now, that just kind of seems like that's kind of turned on its head, doesn't it? I mean, you think about resting after you've done all this labor and work, but here the apostle is saying the only way you're going to be able to enjoy this rest is that if you labor to get into it, that if you war to get into it, if you fight to get into it, you strive diligently to enter in. Let us therefore enter into that rest by labor, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. The same way they entered in is the same way that we enter in to this wonderful day of grace and glory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at it in a minute. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 9. In Matthew chapter 9, we find a very beautiful portion of Scripture found in that 27th verse where it says, And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. You know that follows through the whole New Testament? That is a, that is a thread that's woven through every part of it. According to your faith, be it unto you. you like to go home? Well, Jesus went home too. In the 13th chapter of Matthew, Jesus went home to Nazareth where he grew up as a boy, where his earthly father, Joseph, who was his adopted father, his, what do you call it today, his stepfather, so to speak, because he was not his natural father. He had a father, but that father was the father in heaven. And my dear brethren, it was the overshadowing of the Holy Ghost that conceived him in the virgin's womb. Joseph was a good man. Joseph was a godly man. Joseph was a kind-hearted man. We know that by the way that he treated Mary when he could have put her away. Yet he followed the word of the Lord and he was kind to her and went on with something that was no doubt very startling in that relationship that the Lord, the angel, told him. And so he went home. Went home, my dear brethren, where his daddy Joseph, his stepdaddy, taught him how to work with wood and how to build things and where he grew up and he knew the people on the corner. And he went home, just like we want to go back home sometimes. But I tell you, you remember that old song Kenny Rogers sung about 20 years ago? I tell you, we, we go back home sometimes. And where we grew up as boys, there's a four-lane highway run now through those fields where we used to run and play. It's not the same. It's changed. I tell you, it was changed for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He went back home. But my dear brethren, they despised him. And they said, you just need to get on out of here because we don't want what you're selling. We don't want anything about it. And they took him out to the brow of the hill and they would have thrown him overboard. But he passed to their midst. Now Matthew's version is this, verse 58, chapter 13. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. You tell me that unbelief doesn't affect us today? I'm going to tell you it does. My dear brother, we need faith in God Almighty today just as much as they needed it to be able to go into a land of giants where the Anak were and cast them out and drive them before them. We need the same thing. It's a day of faith, my dear brethren. That's what Paul wrote to the Roman Christians. Romans chapter 4 and verse 16. He equates the two together synonymously when he says in verse 16, Therefore it is a faith that it might be by grace. It is by faith that it might be by grace. Now the two he equates to be the same. This is the day of faith. That's why Paul could write to the Galatian saints and say that before faith came, we were shut up unto that wonderful coming of faith. We were under the law, kept under the law, until, like a schoolmaster, we had learned, well, faith was that schoolmaster that set us free, dear brethren. It's the day of faith and grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he says, my rest. Why do you think he says my rest? Why not our rest? Because, my dear brethren, the greatest blessing that God could ever give us is Himself. Himself. When you turn back to that old uh, psalm that we love to read, Psalm 73, the psalm just David said in Psalm 73, and in verse 24, I believe it is, he says, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Do you realize that? That God is our portion forever? He's given us Himself? I tell you, we cannot have a greater blessing than God Himself. In Isaiah chapter 42, we find again... God telling the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 42 and verse 6, He says, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles. He's giving Christ as the essence of the covenant. My dear brethren, when you have covenant blessings, you have none other than the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's what God gave us. You can't get a greater blessing than God Himself. That's why Paul could write to the Philippian saints and say, My God, my God, He's our portion forever, and it's His rest that we enter into, His rest. That's why Jesus could say in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, 
For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. It's His rest. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful, my dear brethren, that we can pack Him up and take Him anywhere we want to go. You know, they couldn't do that in the Old Testament. It had to be right there in a piece of real estate in that land of promise where they had staked it out and drove out the inhabitants and gained the possession of it and the enjoyment of it. It was a piece of real estate. But you know where our rest is today? It's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And my dear brethren, we can take Him to work and we can take Him to school and we can take Him down the road and we can take Him wherever we want to go and find everlasting and wonderful rest. It's entered into by faith. Now, they fought for it. Every inch that they possessed and enjoyed, they fought for it with a sword in hand. And so in this day in which we live, my dear brethren, we are striving to enter in. We are pressing in. We are fighting to get in. Warring. And as the Apostle Peter writes, we're girding up the loins of our mind. First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. And let's look at verse 9. Now, I believe that we're talking about the gospel day, the day of gospel rest in Hebrews chapter 4. And I believe this is what Peter is saying right here in 1 Peter 1, verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Of which salvation? The prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what? Of what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto... This is a unique little word right here. It's only got two little letters in it. Us. U.S. Isn't that something? Us. That not unto themselves, but unto us. They did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost, sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Isaiah saw these things 750 years before Jesus Christ came into the world. Daniel saw these things in that 24th week, my dear brethren, when the Messiah, the Prince, would come and make an end of sins and finish transgression forever and be cut off but not for himself. For the people, my dear brethren, Daniel saw that, Isaiah saw that, Jeremiah saw these wonderful things, and they searched diligently to find out when are these things going to be. And Peter says, they searched diligently for them, but what they were talking about is not for them, but for us today, in a day of grace, in a day of wonderful glory, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 13 says, Wherefore, because of these truths, on the basis of these glorious things, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, if you enjoy anything about this gospel rest today, if you enjoy anything about this glorious rest and land we're in today by grace, we will receive it because we have fought for it and believed in it and, my dear brethren, hope for it. That's the only way we'll receive it in the full enjoyment of it because God is not going to give us something if we just sit down and say, well, if he wants me to do it, he'll move me over there. 
Has he moved you yet, Brother John? We wish he'd get us out of bed sometime and fix coffee for us and everything else, help us get dressed, but it doesn't work that way. He says, boy, I've given you a life. I've given you knowledge. I've given you Christ. I've given you the Holy Spirit. I've given you my Word. Now enter into the blessedness of it and enjoy all that you can because you will enjoy it, because you've girded up your minds and you have sought it with everything in you and you've been diligent and you have not, like those Old Testament first generation saints, refused to enter in and been disobedient and unbelieving. My dear brethren, when you go back to the Old Testament, you find that they were able to enter in because of men who wholly followed the Lord their God. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 6. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Japhuni, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they have bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Verse 24 but my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land wherein to he went, and his seed shall possess it. Now, did you catch their vision? Did you catch their enthusiasm? Did you catch their zeal? My dear brethren, there was a warmth here. They saw God. They said, listen. We can take this land because if God delights in us, He's going to drive them out. And we can do it because God is with us. And because God is with us, there is nothing that can stand before us. Isn't that a wonderful hope to have? Isn't that a wonderful vision to have, my dear brethren, in a God who is so awesome and so great that nothing can stand before Him. When you turn to Joshua chapter 2, my dear brethren, and we find very similar things. I tell you, the whole land was entered into with this new generation. They were eager to go. They weren't like their forefathers and their fathers who passed on in that wilderness. In the longest funeral march that ever was, every morning they would come to Moses and say, so-and-so's died, and so-and-so's died. Every day there was somebody passing away. Every day there was death, my dear brethren. But now this generation say, we believe in this God. He's an awesome God. He's able to take us in, and we believe that He can. And they did. Joshua chapter 2, verse 8. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof, and she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt, and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, 
Zihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now, this is Rahab the harlot. Do you know that God gave her faith? Do you know, my dear brethren, she got faith the same way we get faith today, by sovereign grace, working that in our heart, when we're so undeserving of it. My dear brethren, she was undeserving of it too, but God had mercy on her. And I tell you, as they went in and those walls fell down and they found that scarlet cord, they delivered her and her family in that house. And I tell you, this woman became a monument of sovereign grace, just like you this morning, who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, have become monuments of sovereign grace, where He took us, my dear brethren, when we were in filth and squalor and sin, and He cleaned us up and made something out of our life. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That God can still do that? That God is still doing that? He did this for this woman. You ever read the book of Ruth? Isn't Boaz kind of a, just a, an amazing man? <laughs> He's so kind-hearted. My dear brethren, this man is an awesome man. He's a beautiful type of the Lord Jesus Christ. But do you know who Boaz's mother was? It was Rahab the harlot. My dear brethren, when God cleaned up her life and made her a woman of faith and a monument of grace, she had such an influence and an impact upon the life of her son that he became such a wonderful, godly man who loved the Lord. And I tell you, that's a wonderful tribute. That's a wonderful tribute to, to the grace of Almighty God that He's still taking sinners and cleaning up their lives and bringing them to a place of faith. And she entered the hall of those worthy ones in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, as a woman of faith. What amazing things God has done. What amazing things He's still doing. What amazing things He can do right here in Gadsden as all these people pass up and down this road. Oh, I tell you, my dear brethren, no doubt He said to you the same thing He said to Paul when he was in Corinth. I have much people in this city. Oh, that God would call them out that they might have a desire to fall at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, thankfully, you're here to point them to Calvary and to the Lord Jesus Christ. This woman became a monument of grace. Faith. She saw a God and she was able to relay that to these men. Our hearts just melted. There is no other God like your God. He's the God of heaven and earth. My dear brethren, He's Lord in heaven and He's Lord in earth. And she recognized this truth. And what a blessing it is. Now, turn with me, if you will, to the fifth chapter of the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 5. In Joshua chapter 5, we find that the Lord Jesus Christ <clears throat> comes upon the scene. But it's remarkable to note that He does not come upon the scene until His people have been sanctified and washed with the blood. In that fifth chapter of the book of Joshua, beginning in the sixth verse, it says, For the children of Israel walked forty years in the wilderness, till all the people that were men of war 
which came out of Egypt were consumed because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, unto whom the Lord sware that he would not show them the land which the Lord sware unto their fathers that he would give us, a land that floweth with milk and honey. And their children, whom he raised up in their stead, them Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised, because they had not circumcised them by the way. And it came to pass, when they had done circumcising all the people, that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you, wherefore the name of the place is called Rolling. That's what Gilgal means. He rolled away the reproach. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Now after they were sanctified and they had a desire to approach God and draw near to God, look what happened. Verse 13, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship. And said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servants? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. You know, when we have a desire to be sanctified and to draw near to the Lord Jesus Christ, that he will draw near to us. It happened in the Old Testament. It's still happening today in the New Testament. That when we have a desire to clean up our lives and get rid of the sin and sanctify our lives and draw near to the Lord Jesus Christ, He will draw near to us. Second Corinthians chapter 10 says in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And I'm going to tell you something. We still have strongholds of sin in our lives today. And sometimes they seem like they're totally insurmountable. How in the world can we get rid of these strongholds of sin? Well, it's through the word of the captain of our salvation in Joshua chapter 6. You see, chapter 5 flows right into chapter 6. He's still on the scene. He's still talking to Joshua. And now he says, now Jericho, what a stronghold of sin Jericho was. 
And now the captain of our salvation is telling the commander who's going to lead in the armies of God, this is how you're going to take that city. This is how you're going to bring down that stronghold of sin. And you know, he's still giving us that knowledge today through his word. He's still telling us how to overcome sin and bring down the strongholds of sin today. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus thou shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times. And the priests shall blow with the trumpets. Now they followed exactly, precisely to the word their commander-in-chief. The captain of their salvation. And what do you think happened? <laughs> it worked just like he said it would, huh? You know, we wake up sometimes today and we find ourselves surprised that the Word of God, when we live according to it, does just exactly what it says it's going to do. It's going to set us free. It's going to deliver us. And that's what Jesus could say in John 8 and 32. That when we know the Word, then my brethren, it is the truth that's going to set us free. How does it set us free? Let me give you an example of that in the 19th chapter of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 19. I tell you, there's something wonderful, there's something awesome, there's something mighty just in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something about His name. The name of the Lord is as a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and are saved. There's something awesome about the name of the Lord, my dear brethren. It was not only the name of Jesus. It was His person. He could just step out of the ship on the shores of Gennesaret. And this man possessed with a legion of devils ran to him and fell down at his feet and said, I know thee who thou art. Thou art the Holy One of Israel. And he commanded that spirit to come out of that man. My dear brethren, there's something awesome about the power of Jesus Christ. His name and His Word. Chapter 19, verse 10. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the Word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. They heard the what? They heard the Word of the Lord Jesus. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from His body were brought into the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and the diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them then certain of the vagabond jews exorcists took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the lord jesus saying we adjure you by jesus whom paul preacheth and there were seven sons of one shiva a jew and chief of the priests which did so and the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear 
fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the Word of God and prevailed. My dear brethren, there is still power in the name and the Word of the Lord Jesus Christ. His truth to set us free. Do you see what happened here? My dear brethren, it convicted men. And they were brought to confession. And they were brought to repentance. And they forsook their sin. In this instance, they forsook it because they brought these books of black magic and burned them in the fire. How do you know the Word of God is prevailing in you or in me? My dear brethren, when we're convicted and we're brought to confession and we're brought to repentance and we're brought to forsaking of sin, we know the Word of God is prevailing in our lives and we're bringing down strongholds of sin. May the Lord bless you.